Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. Don't have any housekeeping for you this week except to go vote. We're running out of time. Many states' deadlines for registration has already passed, so make sure you're registered to vote. If you're not sure or need some help voting, just go to patagonia.com forward slash elections, and they'll walk you right through it. So please do it. This is a big one. Uh, my guest this week is Coney Shafroth. He is the brainchild engineer and designer behind the XC Tracer Varios, that whole family of Varios, which are the most accurate and sophisticated Varios on the market. Many, many people have now switched over to them, and you'll find most of the XOPS athletes use them. I've been using them since my first race in 2015. These are just featherweight. Many of the Bluetooth ones are just solar powered. You never need to charge them. They just released their Max, which is a fully independent, has its own, you know, has a screen. It's a, it's a Vario that gives you everything like the Varios of old, but much more accurate. Uh, we talk about, you know, the difference, what goes into them, and what makes them different from other Varios. The main thing being the accelerometers and the difference between that and a barometer. So talk a lot about Varios, but also how to climb better, how to find the core and his amazing history. He's been at this, he's been at flying for more than 30 years. He's from Bern, Switzerland. So the Bernese Oberland, one of the most incredible places to fly in the world. This is the Interlock and Eiger Wallis part of the world. Pretty amazing zone to fly in, in Switzerland. And so we talk about how he flies and how he chases it. He doesn't chase kilometers. He chases beauty and flying over glaciers and midnight flights. And uh, his pursuit is pretty, pretty clean. And I, I liked that. So talk a little bit about dangers and risks and uh, one accident he had along the way and what he learned from that. And just a really fun talk with a very interesting mechanical engineer. Yet another engineer who has taken strongly to the sport. So without further delay, please enjoy this conversation with Coney Shaprock. Coney, it's great to have you on the show. We've been having lots of emails over the years as the designer of the XC Tracer, which everybody knows who listens to the show, knows I'm a huge fan of and will be using again in my fourth X Alps coming up, crazily enough, in in June. And so that was just announced. That was pretty exciting, but really fun to to talk to you and talk Varios and climbing and your quite considerable history. I, I didn't know you've been flying for more than 30 years. How'd you get into all this craziness? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm a curious guy and I always have a lot of ideas. And um, flying, uh, I was interested in flying since, since I was a kid. And uh, when I was uh, 16, I started uh, learning to fly gliders on a wooden, on a wooden plane, on a K-8. And uh, then I made my <coughs> glider license. And uh, after that, I went uh, to Zurich and studied mechanical engineering. So flying was not that much the priority, rather parting and other stuff. And then when I was uh, 22, just paragliding started. And uh, I had the opportunity to fly with a, well, it was rather a parachute. Um, and I thought, well, this can, can be made different. And then there, uh, near my parents was a guy who was making his own paragliders. Uh, it was called North Sails, I think, then. And then I uh, contacted this guy and said, hey, I can make a paraglider which flies much better than that what you have. And he said, mm, I don't believe, but we can try. <laughs> and then I, <laughs> I made the first one. And it was really, really flying better than the gliders he had. But to be honest, we also had a lot of luck that we didn't have a bad accident. It's really, we have been lucky. Yeah, this is how it all started. <clears throat> was, it, was this back in the, in the 80s? I guess late 80s, early 90s? Yeah, yeah, it was 80, uh, 87, 88, something like that. Yeah. It started. How many cells did your first glider have? This always cracks me up, the gliders back in those days. Uh, I think it was around, around 20, 20, 20, 21 cells. <laughs> and it was the first glider where you could fly 
uh, or with the lake of Thun, you know, you could fly from Nizen uh, and cross the lake and land on the other side of the lake. This was really fantastic. To, uh, did. Wow. So what was that glide ratio? Is that like a four to one? No, no, no. It was uh, already six to one. Really? Oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. so it was, yeah, yeah. it was a high performance <laughs> glider for back then. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fly now these days with it, but yes, then it was a good glider. Right. <laughs> How many people ended up in the lake back then? Uh, only me once <laughs> because we had a, you know, we had a, uh, first it was my brother flying over the lake, That's not, that was no problem. Then we had a smaller glider and the, the boss of the company said, oh, I want to know if the smaller glider can make it too. And then I uh, took off from Niesen and that was the era where you didn't have really flight instruments. You had no idea, but you, you just went flying. And then I had the impression, well, uh, glide ratio is not so good. I will not make it be because there's too much headwind. And the guy said, no, 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 you're far up off the mountain. It works. What he didn't tell me, he was crossing the lake with his motorboat to the other side of the lake. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> so, of course, I'm much higher than the, 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 the top of Nizen then. And then in the end, I landed in the boat. Nice. Uh, which was, yeah, but that's easy. Just there's no wind. It was, uh, it was autumn, I think, when, when we did it. And that's easy. But then you had the stupid idea to... To have to, you know, to, to, to tow me back to the to the shore, but that was not a good idea. <laughs> you mean with the glider still up? So you landed and yeah, you kind yeah, of that, started yeah, accelerating? Yeah. Ah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. He started accelerating and then you can imagine the rest. <laughs> not so good. <laughs> and your, does your brother still fly? Uh, yes, but he doesn't have that much opportunity because he moved to the Netherlands, which is not so good for flying, but you can fly there. Yeah, I the mean, dunes. my my next guest is going to be Ferdy, uh, you know, Van Shelvin, who was has done really well. And he he took a he took a bye last year. He took some time off, and he was uh, hanging out with Tom Dodorlado during the race just to see if he really missed it, which he did. So he's applied again, and he's he's also he'll be he'll as always one to beat. Uh, so he's going to be in the next show. But he's he's from the Netherlands, and he's doing pretty well flying in the mountains. So they must figure it out. Mm -hmm. No, you can't. You, you can't fly. I actually, was flying once in the Netherlands. Funny story. I, I went to to visit my brother, and then uh, Lisa, my my spouse, wanted to, uh, to 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 go to the sea and to want to walk. And then uh, my brother and his wife made <clears throat> the proposition to go to to walk uh, in the dunes. And then we were work, uh, we were walking there in the dunes, maybe for I don't know half an hour or so. And suddenly I see something red, just a short glimpse. Something red appeared and then disappeared. Huh? Strange. What is it? And then a few seconds later, it appears again. It was a glider. And then I said, okay, uh, it might be fun to, to fly there at the dunes. And then uh, I couldn't convince my brother to fly with, uh, to, to ask a guy that I can fly or use his, or use his glider. So uh, he didn't want to do anything. So I said, okay, I'll tell myself. And, and you can imagine there's there's uh, the Dutch ex or, well, experts, the, the guys who know really like how to fly on, uh, on a dune. There comes a guy with dirty jeans, with a leather jacket, looks a little bit, uh, I don't know, not so fresh. He <laughs> <laughs> approached the first one and asked him, can I take your glider? And he looks at me and, uh, uh, yes, if you want to try, you can try. <laughs> and I'm sure he was convinced that uh, he will not be able to take off. But the story was it was <clears throat> not so difficult because there's a spot in Switzerland where we often go soaring in the winter. So I was quite used to it. And then I just, yeah, you inflate the glider, inflate the glider, and then my brother uh, pushed me to the uh, to the dune and I was flying there back and forth. <laughs> and with a little bit of break, the glider was trying to, uh, was almost stalling and a little bit lower of, of angle of attack and was collapsing. So I, I, fl I flew for a few minutes. Yeah, yeah, they're very dangerous. I, fl I flew for a few minutes and then I landed and said to the guy, hey, with this glider, please never fly, uh, never fly again. With this glider, something is wrong. And uh, I asked him for, for his for his address because I thought, I thought well, he uh, uh, might be would be a good idea to send uh, to send him a, a mini cheap uh, a mini two because he was so nice to let me fly. And then a week later, he sent me a mail saying, "Oh, thank you very much for flying with my glider. I had to trim it afterwards. It was really completely out of trim. You're right. It just was very dangerous to fly. I think it was 15 centimeters the long, the longest deviation from a. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's a little really, out. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. 
I've, I've actually sold quite a few of my comp gliders to pilots in the Netherlands because they, they apparently, you know, it's, it's pretty windy and they, mm-hmm. and they're, it's in the sand. So they, you know, they're, they're, they get abused quite a bit because you're, you're flying a lot in the sand and the dunes. And, and so they just want gliders that are really fast, uh, but they don't mm-hmm. really care if they're old or, you know, the lines are bad. As long as they're, you know, somewhat in trim and they're fast then they can, that sounds like a perfect kind of wing for there. Cause you can just, you can fly a little bit more wind because they're nice and fast and it sounds quite fun. Mm, I prefer snow. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. No, because snow is soft. If if you make if you make something wrong, if you you can crash into snow. If you have one meter of powder snow, nothing happens. If you have sand, oh. Yeah, exactly. No, it's very very forgiving. I think that's that's uh, Kriegel always talks about that. That's one of the ways he's gotten so good at dealing with a lot of wind. It's just going out in the snow because you can you can mess up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's so that's kind of your. Your zone, that's where you fly. You live in Bern. Have, have you been, are you from Bern originally or is that just the area you're from? No, I was, uh, I was born in Bern and then uh, the family moved to Thun. This is where other ones is. And uh, I grew up in Thun and then I went to Zurich for the, for, for studying mechanical engineering at DTH in Zurich. And uh, then I moved back to Bern. Yet another engineer in flying. This is a topic that comes up a lot on the show it, it seems that the sport really attracts uh your kinds uh, an engineering type of mind which i don't have <laughs> much more much more by feel but uh it, it's interesting that the number of mechanical engineers and the number of engineers in the sport yeah uh, i think that normally engineers are not so uh, not, not so uh, emotional people and uh, paragliding is, is, is only about emotions, in fact. And uh, I think that's a good way to to have good emotions. I think that's why it's very attractive for engineers or programmers or this kind of people. Mm, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that side of it before. So it allows you to tap into a, a part of your brain that's not very natural to tap into. Yeah, I think so. It might be. Interesting. Um, you... you told me before we started talking that your real passion for the sport and now over 30 years has, has never really been, or maybe it was at some point, but it certainly isn't now kind of kilometer crunching, which is for many people, you know, they, they get into it and it's just amazing. And you know, the, they're, they're blown away. And then they get into this kind of endless search of bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, that doesn't, that doesn't drive you. No, no, not at all. It's just, <clears throat> I like the beauty of it, um, and it can be short flight, it can be a long flight, it can be a flight of uh, 4,000 meters flying over the, glac- uh, the glaciers, it can be midnight soaring or after midnight soaring, deep snow. Uh, I, look, I like all this stuff, or going to Azores, uh, soaring along the coast. Um, it's just when it's beautiful, when it's nice, that's what I like. I don't have to prove anything, so I don't have to count kilometers or whatever. It's not my style. If, if, is that been? Are, are you are you quite passionate about? It? Have you have you kind of kept that passion for the sport since the beginning, or does it kind of ebb and flow? No, it's. I think it it, it remained. It's just uh, if I can't go flying for for two or three weeks, I uh, get a little bit kind of nervous. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> uh, I think you know it. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. But when I can fly, then all is good. Huh. How has flying changed your life? I think it it makes it a bit unpredictable. In the sense, um, when you have an office job, you have an office job, you know more or less what's going to happen. Um, then you go paragliding, you never know what's going to happen. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I um, will get back in one piece. But uh, you never know where you're where, 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 where it ends up. Uh, if it's a long flight, it's a short flight. It's if it's if you fly far, if you fly high, you, you never know. And this is the it gives some kind of of of, of adventure, um, some kind of unpredictable unpredictability to to to, to daily life. Um, so it makes it more interesting. It's difficult to explain. Maybe you'll get it. I don't no, know. that doesn't. That's not difficult at all. You explained it really well. When you when you plan your flying adventures, uh, is it 
oh, it's a good day. I'll just go see what happens. Or do you have a, an objective? Uh, depends. Uh, a few times, a few times a year, I go, uh, go to fish. And then the objective is always to fly as far back to burn as possible. <laughs> Until now, it was not possible to do it completely. Um, yeah, sometimes I have objectives. Uh, sometimes I don't care about. Uh, I don't care. I don't care at all. I just fly. Huh. And very often I go testing. So, meaning uh, uh, if it's not it's not if it's not for the fun of it, uh, we go testing hardware and software. So that's completely different then. Sometimes you just have to stay in the air for three hours to to see if it, if the code is is is, is reliable, reliable, and consistent. So it's different. And is your job now exclusively XE Tracer, or do you still have your day job in XE Tracer as a on the side kind of thing? <laughs> You're right. Yeah. No, XE Tracer is consuming consuming far far too much time. It's impossible to have a job besides XE Tracer. Ah, well, that's good though. So you can you can pursue something that you're obviously really passionate about that's fun yeah that's fun but uh it's really a lot of work and nobody imagines uh, how much work it is it's really we try to make um, a product which is as reliable as possible and which is as simple as possible and this makes it so complicated sure this is the this is the this is the main problem yeah yeah it's like yvonne chenard said the hardest thing in the world is to simplify your life <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, 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 a little, it's a little bit like that. It's really, it's a really a big effort. Um, we produced, uh, we developed uh, our robots, for example, for the production. We have now uh, how many are six? I think we have uh, six different robots we use for the production. You mean robots um, to robot, put them together? Uh, to to to, to do some tasks, yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's okay. not it's not complicated robots. We have to, but you have to develop them, and nobody knows. And we don't we don't show them, but because we don't want the competition to know what we're doing. <sighs> but uh, it's 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 a lot of stuff that uh, that uh, that the customer doesn't see. So it's really it's really really time consuming. But I can't I just I can't even imagine how much goes into the well let's well okay let's rewind to the genesis. How did you decide to even get into this project? Um, as I said, I'm curious and, uh, I like to make sports and a few years ago, uh, over Easter, um, I wanted to go skiing and the weather forecast was so bad. I needed, I desperate, desperately needed uh, something to do. And then I stumbled up, uh, <clears throat> over an Arduino starter kit, Arduino, is some kind of microprocessor, simplified microprocessor, uh, environment. And uh, I bought such another starter kit, and then it was tinkering, and had the first LED blinking, and then had the fuel LEDs, uh, LEDs blinking. And Lisa always said, ah, what's that good for? <laughs> and at the time, I was uh, working, and from time to time, I still do, um, uh, on a watch project. And uh, after a few days, I had the idea, oh, I could use it uh, for making measurement, uh, measuring, measurement instruments for, uh, for my watch project. And this is how it started. And um, I always said that instruments, the time lag, this is something I didn't like because it's not intuitive. It's like when you're sitting in a car and then you're on the highway <clears throat> and then you know, you know the exit is coming and uh, two seconds before the exit, you have to turn the steering wheel roughly 30 degrees and then one to two seconds later, the wheels will actually uh, turn. Uh, I don't know. This is Warriors a few years ago. And I didn't like that. And I always tried to convince a friend of mine uh, who was working at the startup uh, to, to build this, but he never wanted. And then with the Arduino starter kit, it wasn't so complicated to add a pressure sensor and start tinkering. So nothing was planned. It's just. And so the, the first ones. Yeah. Okay. Let, let's get in the technical side of things a little bit. What is an accelerometer? Uh, an accelerometer is a, a simple, a, a, a small device which is uh, measuring acceleration. And so, and how does that differentiate between a barometer? Um, a barometer is a, is, a, is a pressure sensor. And um, as you can imagine that uh, when you measure uh, the pressure, there's some kind of noise on the signal. That means you can measure the pressure and then you can measure, measure it uh, a very short time afterwards, you will get a different result. 
so it's noise it's noisy the signal when you when you make the average it's very uh, very very stable very very accurate uh, accurate but this noise um you have to filter the noise and when you filter the noise uh, whatever you do you always have a time lag because you may you make some kind of an average or whatever you uh, filter uh, algorithm you use but it's 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 ending up with some kind of a uh, of, of of time delay and this is why uh, a variometer with just um, only a pressure sensor always has a, a time lag. So when I first started flying with the XC Tracer, I immediately, and this was your first edition, this was way back, you know, the bigger one and mm-hmm. uh, without the solar. And um, right out of the box, I loved it, but I felt like it was so fast. Like it, 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 it felt the air as fast as I could feel it. And I was used to flying, you know, my 6030, you know, my fly tech, which is obviously, like you said, that's, that's measuring it differently. So it's, it's more of an averager, uh, as I understand it, than yes. something immediate. Um, mm-hmm. I was, and so I got the config, a config file from a PWC pilot, which I've now shared with hundreds and hundreds of people because i've put this out on the show a few times are we wrong should we not be dampening should we learn how to fly with the device just set up as it is as you send it to us should we in other words should we learn to fly immediate i would say so i would yeah i would say so because um exit tracer indicates exactly what you feel because when you feel an acceleration it's beeping or when the, ther- when the thermal stops, the warrior stops beeping immediately. Hmm. So it's, 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 it's immediate feedback. You must get used to a bit because when you're flying with, a, with an old warrior for 10 or uh, 20 years, then you might have some issues because it's like marriage. You get used to it and it has its good sides, its downsides, but you're used to it. And um, yeah, I think so. It's, it's really just try to to remove the damping factor as far, as much as you can you can leave a little bit um but uh go down with the damping factor as much as far as far as you can alex roby i had him on the show a while back it was actually just after the last race and he, he's always you know right up there in the top five x contest at the end of every year and does these just amazing triangles this year went down to well actually last year i guess went down to brazil for COVID and and did, he's he's an amazing pilot. He actually flies with two. He flies with an XC tracer that's dampened on one shoulder and and an immediate, let's call it out of the box on the other. I thought that was really interesting. Maybe a way to hear, (laughs) you know, to kind of balance between the two, because I loved the immediacy of it, but I just, I found it harder to find the core. I found it harder to just because it's so immediate, it's so quick. So that that's interesting. If I maybe maybe if I just slowly lower my dampening down, then I'll improve in terms of flying, in terms of climbing. Sorry, I think so. Yeah. What would you recommend to people, pilots who are, you know, you got you got to think back a long ways here because this was thirty years ago for you, but pilots that are just getting into the sport, you know, it, you know, learning on their ENA wing and they're just starting to punch into, uh, the thermal part of the day. What would you recommend to them for learning how to utilize thermals? Uh, it's difficult to say. It depends on the warrior they have. Normally the instructor tells them, uh, you, uh, you fly into a thermal, it's accelerating. So you know that you're climbing. And then uh, after a second or two, uh, it starts beeping. And then you wait two seconds. You count 20, 21, 22, and then you turn to the left or to the right. And this is a conventional value. And when you have an exit tracer, you can just wait until it's beeping less. And then you can make the turn. The fact that what I, with a conventional value, um, what I feel what my body, what the body tells me and what the value is telling me is never, is never the same. So um, I always had to to judge: is it is the warrior correct, or I am correct, or uh, was what is it? Um, it's not nice to fly like that. And when you have a, a, a warrior like XC Tracer, you don't have to judge because what the warrior tells you is what you feel. So it's consistent. Yeah, I can I can vouch for that. Uh, you know, hundred over a hundred times. It's just it's 
it's you, you feel that little bump in your left butt cheek and that it tells you at the same time that you just felt yes. a, buff, a little bump in your left butt cheek. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm doing the, a show coming up. We, we call them ask me anything shows. And one of the questions that came in, I, I haven't recorded the show yet. We'll do that in the future, but I'm going to give this one to you. I was a newer pilot who said, you know, I'm starting to really get thermaling I, I understand and I'm starting to feel okay it's it's this one's more on my left or this one's on my right I'm going to turn that way or that way but I I'm very often being out climbed uh, so the question was how do I find the core uh what I normally see when 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 people are out climbed they make circles that are too large hmm. that's the, that's the that's the main uh, that's the main issue. They don't they don't dare to make tighter circles. So, what you can try is just wait until the vario is beeping less, and then make a turn, and then you'll find it quite quick. Hmm. And what if you turn the wrong way initially? Oh, then you fall out of the thermal. <laughs> it's very simple. <laughs> <laughs> but do you recommend people stay with that turn and just widen it out and come back on it on the next one or immediately make a change and, and say if you were going left, you immediately make the change go right? Depends. I can't tell. Uh, depends on the situation where, where you are. When, when the glider already has taken a lot of speed, um, a lot of energy, then it's better to continue with the turn. Um if you're thinking a lot, I think continue with the turn. It's difficult to say. It depends. Are there other pilots flying? Is, 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 is the mountain close? Uh, there's a lot of factors uh, playing into, sure. into the decision. Wind being a big one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Cohen, when you say you're, you're, you're doing a lot of testing and you know refinements, you know you just released the max, which is kind of the the gold standard of Varios in the world today. There's no real doubt about that. What, how can these things keep being improved? What, what, what do you, what do you try to uh, enhance at this point? They're different. Uh, they're different things. Um, uh, we try to, we constantly try to improve the quality of our products because uh, when you get a very back for the after sales service, it's always a pain. Mm. Um, this is one thing we try. The other thing we try is um, to improve the production for that we can um, produce more varies in the same time. Then we try <clears throat> to make them uh, more reliable to, to, to get an even better GPS reception. Um, we're constantly trying to improve the sensor data fusion algorithm. Um, you're trying to improve the, the wind estimation, for example. It's just small improvements here and there. And when we have something new, then we just release it to pilots. The Tell me about FLARM, because that's not uh, something that's very prevalent in the U.S. You, you may have followed, you know, we had this, just had this massive search and rescue effort for Kiwi. And there was a lot of discussion as that was going on. And then after he was found about how we could improve our instruments and ability for sending and receiving information that would be helpful to the outside world, especially because we fly most of the very, very often in the Western US, we don't have cell service where we fly Uh or at least huge patches where we don't. Tell me about FLARM and it's why it's valuable, it, mostly in Europe, and what that allows. What is the added safety of having FLARM? Um, the thing is, we have uh, in, in Europe, we have a lot of uh, traffic in the air. So we have a lot of gliders, we have a lot of uh, helicopters, uh, a lot of uh, small motor planes. And uh, FLARM was uh, initially uh, developed for as an anti-collision system for gliders because gliders are white, clouds are white, and it's very difficult to spot them. And if they're flying uh, with high speed, 150k, 200k uh, below a cloud, um, uh, so they approach each other with 30, 40 meters per second or even more in 50, um, <clears throat> it can be very dif- difficult to spot the other glider 
and there was quite a few accidents where glider were colliding and when a glider collides then it's almost always at least one is going to is going to die and so that that that's why florm was uh, was developed and um then uh, it was first it was just for gliders and now as i said it's also used by uh, by helicopters and by motor planes and now we use it also for 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 paragliding and for paragliding there, there are two effects um with uh, with a uh, Form beacon. I can make myself uh, visible to to glider pilots or to helicopter pilots or whatever, so they know that I'm here. Even if there's a cloud between us, um, they will see me um, over a distance for a few uh, of a few kilometers. So this is one aspect. It's just uh, the, the safety aspect of getting seen, even if the the, the view is not so good. When you're flying below a cloud, uh, visibility visibility can be very bad. But the glider will know that you're there. This is one aspect. And the other aspect is that um, uh, <clears throat> with our form, you can also see where the others are. So we can see where the other paragliders or hang gliders are. And you can use this as a body, uh, a body feature for when you fly uh, in, a, in a team. Then you can see, oh, this one is flying just uh, two kilometers on the left side of, my, uh, of me or uh, is 10 kilometers ahead or whatever. You see them. And uh, the third feature that can be very useful is um, the max will not switch off automatically you have to switch it off yourself and the reason for that is um, it will send as long as the battery is is is, uh, is, is is still a bit charged it will send a alarm beacon twice per second and this could be used for uh, for for tracking in, in the worst case when you have an accident mm. is the would the f alarm be as accurate as say a live track 24 that has when the devices have cell service is it is it the same kind of accuracy better worse i don't know the other one but the accuracy that we have is a few meters so wow. it can be very accurate this is not the problem oh wow amazing you know in the last three x alps you have created a config file for all of us that has allowed us to use it as an IGC tracker when we're on the ground. So it's another backup mm -hmm. feature, which has been just unbelievable. And the, the, the solar version, the, the, the mini has, I don't ever have to charge it. It just goes mm -hmm. forever. Uh, so yes, things like that have for the race or when you have all this other stuff to charge is, is really valuable. I mean, obviously at night we're going to put it on charge just to be safe, but I don't know that I've ever, I mean, this whole summer I've flown with my mini all summer. I've never charged it once. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is, this is, as I said, uh, we're, we're constantly uh, trying to improve our products. Um, uh, we are good engineers, but we're not good salesmen. <laughs> you can see that on our webpage. <laughs> no, we, yeah. And you have, it's, it's difficult to explain. We have, a. Uh, yeah, how should I uh, tell that? Uh, we have a, way, a certain way of, of, of doing things. Um, first of all, we try to source as many uh, stuff as we can in Switzerland. For example, for the Max, the glass is from Switzerland. Uh, the plastic injection molding is made in Switzerland. The PCB manufacturer is in, is in Hungary. And the, the PCB um, pick-and-place uh, mounting is made in Switzerland. The assembly is made in Switzerland. So we try to make as many things as we can uh, with local suppliers as long as it's uh, as long as it's uh, as we can pay for it hmm. so we try to get uh, we, we try to avoid uh, to buy stuff from from china uh, for two reasons um, one reason is that it's good to have product production locally and the second, it doesn't make sense to buy something uh, 10,000 kilometers apart and uh, then uh, just transport it here. It's just, I don't know, it's just a certain way of, of, of doing business. We just try to make an honest business. We don't try to, to, to sell as many versions as we can. We just, when you have a customer, for example, a coupe car uh, coming to us and then uh, a potential customer being very uh, enthusiastic and blah, 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 blah. And then in the end, it turns out he's flying paramotor. Then we tell him, okay, we can sell you an XC Tracer, but it's not worth it because you will not need a, an instant Vario for uh, for flying paramotor. It doesn't make sense. Mm. Go to compet competitors. They can, you can buy a cheaper Vario there. This is good for you. That's it. Mm. And the reason for that is um, 
first, we really th think so. It doesn't make sense to sell uh, a product so, to someone who cannot fully use it. This is point one. And point two is we will then uh, see, it, uh, see this, the same guy one year or later and he will not be pleased when he sees us because he says, well, he, you sold me something which is too good for me. <laughs> no, it's true. It's, no, you see, I get it's, it. I get it. Yeah, it's it's funny to think that something is too good for somebody, but I, when in the paramore world, I I totally understand that. That makes sense. Yeah, it doesn't. It, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. Mm. Mm. So that's that, that's how that's how I said we maybe a bit different. I know. I don't know. We just want to make uh, we want to make honest business. And for example, we uh, we launched um, the XE Tracer two. And when we launched the XE Tracer 2, Rickel was flying with the with prototypes of a, a Mini 2 GPS, the first XOPS. I don't know if you have seen that. Yeah, sure. But we, we have not been 100% sure that uh, the solar panel was was really good enough for charging the whole uh, the whole Wario. So we said, okay, we better make the bigger product, even even if it's bigger than uh, some competitors. But then we know that the solar panel will charge the Wario that it will work. Mm. Ah. And as soon as we are really sure that uh, the mini uh, also works well with the solar panel, then we will release the mini, not before. And is there any? This is a, a curiosity because I, I still have that one, and I, I have that on my comp mm -hmm. kit, and I use the mini three on my you know my hike and fly kit, just because I, then I don't have to switch them back and forth. I, I know that's crazy, but it's just nice. I, it keeps me from forgetting something. But is there is there any? Uh, am I missing anything with that? I mean, in terms of the. You know, each one gets a little bit better, but in terms of their, the sound and the accuracy, is is there, is there much reason to if you've got one of the older models, should you upgrade? No, no, it's not. No, there's no, there's no need for that. It's, it's, it's we uh, if we have a code or new sensor data fusion that also runs on the old uh, Varios, then you also uh, release it for the old Varios. The sensors are not that good, but um, um. You don't, uh, most of the time you don't feel the difference. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's a hard way too, Coney. It's you're, you're not making things obsolete like Apple <laughs> where every phone no, you get, you got to get a no, new no. charger and a new thing and a new remote and a new headphones and oh my God, it drives me crazy. Now we try to make the, the products as good as we can. It's maybe not good for business wise, but that's how we work. I don't know. <laughs> Well, good for you. That's it's refreshing. Um, okay, well, let's let's uh, switch to some of your flying. I wanted to ask: in all these thirty years you've been at this, have you had any accidents? Uh, yes, I had one uh, three years ago. Four. It's like it's like always. It's a lot of factors who play uh, play a role there. Um, I had a glider, which was before I always had gliders. Um, that when you break too much, uh, the wing was going to bend before it would make a stall. Mm. And this new glider was just stalling over the whole wingspan, just was uh, stalling back. Uh, this is one reason, and our reason was I was uh, testing uh, warriors, and then I wanted to land on, a, uh, on top of a hill. And there's a rather large field. And um, I didn't, there have been some clouds and I didn't really uh, look carefully because when I approached the field and it was covered by cows. But you know, the real cows with horns. So uh, it was not possible to land there. And uh, the, 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 the large field was in some kind of a lee, but uh, since it's large, it's no problem. And then just before the field, there was some kind of a, of a platform made of concrete. And so, in a, in a land on a concrete uh, a concrete platform is not a good idea when you when you're in a lee. So I tried. Uh, I had to avoid. Uh, I had to fly to the left side. On the left side, there have been trees, and the lee was stronger. And then uh, I had a stall roughly two meters above ground, and it was falling on my back, it, which it, was not good. What did did you break your back? Uh, yeah, it was just half broken, but I was very lucky, so I don't feel anything today. Oh wow, great! Did were you, did you have a, a good proper harness with a big pad, or was it just you yeah, just yeah. landed? Or okay, uh, that helps. No, no, I had a good, I had, I had a harness, and it really it just was, was just different, uh, different factors that uh, that led to this accident, and I was really embarrassed because before before that I was flying without any accident for thirty years. Mm. It's funny how the embarrassment comes in. It, it, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting 
emotional aspect to what we do where just a little tiny bit of complacency or just, you know, thinking about something else briefly or it, just doing something that you know, you you know, you didn't need to do. Yeah, and then that's too late. <laughs> and then it's too late. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I learned, what I've learned uh, in 30 years is that um, uh, paragliding is very, very difficult, in fact. And my landing spots get bigger and bigger. And uh, I still, after 30 years, you can have, uh, you, you can learn new things about aerodynamics, for example, or, or about weather. Things you never would have thought it's possible, but it happens. Yeah. I think paragliding is probably more more uh, dangerous than we think, than we believe. I think that's probably 100%. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that's for sure. We've pushed the boundaries a bit too far. Mm. That's uh, that's that's the issue. Why? Why have we done that? What's what's pushing that? I don't know. It's uh, I think it's just uh, to have more kilo kilometers uh, in the logbook at the end of the day. I think. Mm. Um, I think it's this is the reason. I don't know. Yeah, I would agree. I think there's a you know, there's a really good side of something like x contest and there's a bit of a dark side as well it's you know it's great to have the database it's great to have the knowledge it's fantastic to have the inspiration but it's also there is a dark side there there is a you know that's not really the reason well, this has come up a lot lately i'm not trying to be preachy in any means because i i definitely fall into that category 100 but it's uh it's a, it's a, it's a dangerous pursuit. Yeah. It's just, I think, uh, uh, paragliding is, paragliding is dangerous and there's just some certain weather conditions where we simply shouldn't fly. Hegel can fly maybe, but, uh, others shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've, I've, and this is the, this is the main problem, I think. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I asked a lot of the, we did this kind of, uh, we did three shows after the x where I interviewed a lot of the participants and a lot of the athletes in it afterwards. And, and that, that came up a number of times that it's, it is quite dangerous, but it's the least dangerous for Kriegel. Uh, he's the most relaxed. He's the most trained. He's the most calm. Um, and, and when you watch him, especially when he gets out in front, he's, uh, he's, he's having a lot of fun. He's not, he, he doesn't seem to be is having to press it nearly as hard. Whereas the rest of the field is they're, they're, they're sleeping less, they're pressing harder. They're, they're pressing their bodies harder and harder to try to keep up. So I think I think in in the end he's he's actually taking the least risk. <laughs> I think so because the that's always the case when you're in front you have to take less risk than the other ones. Sure, yeah, sure, sure. Well, we get to see him perform in his seventh this June. That will be fascinating as as always. Uh, if you could rewind the clock to your fifty hour flying self, what would you tell that Tony? knowing what you know now? Be more careful, I would say. Hmm. When I, when I, when I had, um, when I was uh, flying on my own paragliders, um, or learning to fly on my own paragliders, uh, we had a lot of luck. <laughs> I was 20 something, 22. So, um, yeah, to the, nowadays I see things completely different, but I'm much older. So, right. <laughs> You, did you say, uh, do you have kids? No. But you have a, your, you mentioned your partner, Lisa, was that her name? Yes. And does she fly? Yes, she flies too. Yeah. Okay. And she, she learned, she, she was flying a tandem with me for more than 15 years. And suddenly she said, okay, I want to learn it myself. Wow. Were you a, a commercial tandem pilot for a while or just for fun? No, no, never. No. Okay. Wow. Interesting. I was going to say, if you had kids, did that change your, well, let's talk about risk. How has your risk profile changed over the years? It's getting less and less risky. Yeah. Do you, do you attribute that to age or knowledge or seeing accidents or all three? I think it's all three. Uh, it's all three. Hmm. It's just, you, you learn more, uh, you, you know, more what can happen. Um, you see things you wouldn't like to see. 
and then you get older. You get older. I think you know that too. It's just when you get older, you think more, and which uh, you simply take less risks. Hmm. Well, let's let's end this on a on a super positive note. Uh, best flight, best flying experience you've ever had, and feel free to think about it for a while. I know we've all had many, but is there something that pops to mind you can share? There, there, there are a few of them. There's not just the one. Now share more than one. I mean, we have plenty of time. <laughs> uh, no, uh, it's always absolutely great when you can fly over the glaciers. And it's fun, uh, fun to see when everybody's chasing the valleys up and down. And uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to fly over the glacier to to climb the Finsterarhorn or whatever uh, mountain to to fly as high as possible. It's very. This is very very emotional. It's very really really great. It's one thing. The other thing which can be uh, very fun is um, we have we have been once in uh, holidays at uh, Mallorca and. Uh, uh, Lisa's kids <laughs> wanted to have fun, some fun, but there wasn't much. And um, uh, but we had the opportunity to um, to rent a, a tandem, and then we were soaring along the coast with the tandem until sunset. Wow! Is that that was really yeah? That was really amazing because we didn't take anything with us. We we never we never thought that there would be paragliding in in, in, in this time of the year. But they flew and we could uh, could rent uh, a tandem for. For, for little money, and this was really, really great. It's just, yeah, it came out of the blue. Yeah, I've sailed around Mallorca. I, I can't remember. I think I think we flew, would it be like the northeast side of the island? We flew from a little mountain, but it wasn't on the coast. It was, you know, we, we flew over dirt, but was this, was the flight you did, one of these cliff kind of flights where you're, you're over the water? Yeah, yeah. It was one of those flights, yes. Oh, those are just magic. I had one of those. It was actually that a picture from that went all over the place and outside magazine and stuff that, that Jody took. But I flew, um, oh, what's the name of the, uh, Sao Miguel in the, out in the Azores where we we were staying on the south. We were anchored on the south side of the island and the local paragliders, they have a really active club. You know, they have that huge festival out there every August. Mm-hmm. And Joao is kind of the head of the of the club there, or he was at the time. And he he took us over to the north side of the island every day for thirty days. We went over there because just just in the hopes that we could fly this spot. And it was always too cross or too strong or too light. Or, you know, it has to be just right because otherwise you mm-hmm. you go in the ocean. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and uh, finally, on the last day we were there, we got it right, and it's still to this day. And that was a long time ago. That was two thousand nine, I think, uh, uh, two thousand ten, and oh, it's, it's still one of the most memorable flights I've ever had. I mean, you just couldn't. It was just perfect. You didn't have to worry about going in the ocean, and you're just flying, flying over the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. Next mm-hmm. stop, United States. It was that was that was pretty special. <laughs> when you go flying on the Soros, it's really special. The problem is that when you go flying on Soros and then you come back, then you need holidays because <laughs> you you meet the local guys, and then three or four times it ends up at two o'clock in the morning, and you're dead. <laughs> It's really these guys are some kind of crazy. It's really, really, really great. This is also one of the of the best flights we had there. Yeah, those they are a special group, and man, you're right. Yeah. They know how to party. They have a good time. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Big big shout out to them. <laughs> they 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 throw a good they throw a good festival. Um, uh, Coney, really special to spend some time with you. Thank you for your amazing instruments. They have changed my world radically, and I appreciate them. And I know everybody else does as well who uses them. And uh, look forward to sharing some skies with you in the Bernese Overland. You live in a special place. Thanks, Coney. Appreciate it. Okay. All thank right, you. Man. Talk soon. Take All care. Right, cheers. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. 
You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing, a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes cost. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription. And it makes all of this possible. I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I, for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people and these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we try to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, little video casts that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us, then just let me know and I'll set you up with an account. Of course, that'll be lifetime and hopefully in a, you're being in a position someday to be able to support us. But you'll find all that on the website. Uh, all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought Cloud-Based Mayhem merchandise, t-shirts or hats or anything, you should be all set up. You should have an account. You should be able to access all that bonus material now. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your support. And we'll see you on the next show. Thank you.